Song and a Friend podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 5. Tonight's headliner is the song For Christ's Sake by Tom Adamson and the Faculty. Our opening act is a conversation with the very talented Barton Price, who helped arrange and write the song with me in 2020. Hey, you'll hear about that in just a minute. In each episode this season, we visited a space in which the creative process incubates. Tonight, we look at the practice space. Everybody's got one who makes music. Most artists have them in their home, but it's an inner sanctum, and it's uniquely theirs. It's a holy of holies, if you will, full of important artifacts and objects. Bits of gear, lots of cables everywhere, microphones, a drum kit, a piano, some guitars, posters of old shows, knickknacks, mementos, talismans, a secret laboratory. Everywhere I've lived, I've had a practice space like this. My home here at the Holy Family Rectory in Angola is no different. It's got red carpet and all the stuff that I mentioned. And in the summer of 2020, I was writing a lot of material, but I wasn't finishing them. I was stuck in this holding pattern of almost great ideas that I felt wanted to become great, but I couldn't get them to great by myself. I needed some expert help. Professors, if you will. But one morning in September, I had a visit from two professors, one of theology and one of rock and roll, literally, and Barton will tell you about that in a minute. John Drury on drums and Barton Price on bass. They helped me take the song for Christ's sake from a good idea to a great song. And I think that only could have happened in the practice space, in its retreat-like environment where you withdraw from the noise and hustle and bustle of the world and can just be present to the musical idea and play the song again and try something different and play it again. And the life of the world can go on around you, but in this bunker of song, you can really get down to business and discover hidden depths. So I really owe it to these guys. And then we later took the song to another professor, Brandon Hancock. And in May of 2021, he produced the session. (laughs) It's all these professors. That's why I call the backup group the faculty. So let's listen to Barton's conversation with me now that was held in the same practice space a few months ago. Enjoy. that I had to promise to have Barry on as a guest, all right? So here he is, Garth's cousin, who's a roadie for Aerosmith, Barry. That's a deep cut of the uh, SNL history, yeah. Tom Hanks Tom Hanks was road. hosting SNL, and okay. it, they did a Wayne's World segment, and he, I think he was Wayne or Garth's cousin, but he was a roadie for, the, for Aerosmith. And it, it was, and so he comes up and he's like, jerk one, siblings. Siblings, <laughs> I've got to go back and see that. I, I can only imagine. Let's do it. All right. Check, 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 check one. one. Siblings, siblings, siblings. Check, 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 check two. Siblings, siblings. One, two, three. Wayne's World. Wayne's World. It's excellent. Wayne's World. Wayne's World. 
comes off as a nerdy dude in character and to do the rock and roll thing. That would be. Well, fun. he was like a nerdy roadie. Like oh, okay. he, he had big, thick frame glasses and. And yeah, and then it, I think Aerosmith played the Wayne's World theme song awesome. on the stage of SNL with Mike Myers and Dana Carvey singing along. And oh, I think awesome. I think Tom Hanks was like dancing or something. I mean, it's been like 30 years probably since I've seen that yeah. bit because I remember watching it live. Well, there but, is yeah. a tie into Wayne's World to what we're doing. I kind of see podcasts as like the public access channels of the 21st century. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. people just creating their own content and getting it out there for, for cheap. Well, and the fact that you're drinking coffee, it's the other reference is coffee talk. That's right. Coffee talk. <laughs> if, you, if you get verklempt, well, I'll talk amongst uh, myself. Uh, please, <laughs> please, 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 please. Yeah. And in light of this episode, the Holy Roman Empire was neither Holy Roman nor an empire. <laughs> <laughs> that was fast. Barton Price is in my basement. Party on, Bart. Party on, Tom. <laughs> Well, I, I was capturing that because I thought it was priceless. I wanted to. I'll step out if you need it to be priceless. <laughs> I wanted to ask you what you think of the song "For Christ's Sake." We just got done recording a little alternate take of it. approached you about being a guest we batted around a couple songs and this was the one that you landed on so what are your impressions of the song and why did this one why was this a contender for you yeah well i remember uh it would be like a year and a half ago it was like fall of 2020 that's correct you sent me and john drury uh like a link to a google folder with some demos and this was one of the demos and i i seem to recall it was it was this one, and how did it get so loud? Maybe or mm -hmm. one of the one of the other ones that like there was like two or three that really really caught my attention, and this one caught my attention, and I remember us rehearsing it here in your basement. That's right, and um, just being really impressed with the the sort of ambiance that it gives. It, you know, it's got a very folky, uh, you know, kind of Scots Irishy vibe, but also. Um, I loved the the irony mm. of especially the first couple of verses. Sure. You know, you start with this for Christ's sake, which is the irony is like, you know, that's usually a throwaway kind of take the Lord's name in vain kind of right. uh, phrase. Swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, for heaven's sake, the slightly more sanitized version that you can <laughs> say with your kids. loved was that you i don't know if consciously or not but that you took that as a way of grabbing the listener's attention uh -huh. but then quickly turning it to say well there's another way to think of for christ's sake which is what is it that i'm 
on earth doing or sure. what am I doing with my music or what am I uh-huh. doing professionally? And so that's what really kind of grabbed my attention was right. this sort of sacred and profane dichotomy that you're really kind of jumbling together. Sure. Yeah, that's a good read on it. I I think it's a little bit of conscious and subconscious. Um, I really struggled with the, the lyric um, in its final, final form. You mentioned Brandon when he helped track the the studio version um, down at his church in um, Marion, Indiana, at the, the Nazarene Church there on Kem Road, which was a really cool place to record it. But he was ragging me because, like, right up to the last minute, uh, I was just scratching out words and writing words and changing it and changing it and changing it. I really struggled with taking, as you said, like the Lord's name in vain and using it like a swear because it ends kind of prayerful, um, and it he pulled me back from the edge. I had these really kind of, now I think about them, corny, sanitized opening verses that tried to say the same kind of thing, but not sounding like I was uh, swearing uh, or using the Lord's name in vain. He's like, no, you need it. It's You've got to keep it that way uh, because it, it sets up some some dissonance. And I'll give you a little background on where the song started. It started the weekend that everything started to lock down because of COVID uh, and then mm-hmm. the pandemic started. I wrote that lick and the opening lines on March 15th, 2020. Uh, yeah, that's right when the world was coming to an end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had picked up my daughter Abigail from college. They, they shut down her campus and I, I went down there and we unloaded her room and brought her up here because she was going to do virtual learning for the rest of the semester. And um, we had a full house. For some reason, all I remember now why my in-laws were here because they were seeing Zeke's school play. And the school play was the last thing that the school corporation was going to let everybody do before they shut down. Sure. And um, the house was full. I needed some quiet time. I needed to process all this. So I went into my bedroom. I picked up my old black guitar over here and started noodling around uh, and I landed on that opening riff. about the enormity of everything that was going to happen, all of the changes that were going to have to happen in my professional life. Because also earlier that day, I got the call from uh, the bishop of my diocese, and he says, the building's closed, everybody goes home. Uh, at the time, I was working for the Cahoots nonprofit, and I had phone conversations all day with the president of the board, like, what are we going to do? Right. And I was like, oh, for Christ's sake, <laughs> what, what am I going to do? And then why would I even bother? Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's such a it's such a throw up your hands kind of line. Of, yes. For Christ's sake, why would I even bother with all of this? Exactly. Yeah. And that's where it began. And then I and like a lot of people, uh, I hope this doesn't sound too sanctimonious. It kind of had to spend the rest of that summer figuring out what am I going to do, uh, and putting things back together and renegotiating. The lyric had had to be thought and renegotiated and like, oh, you know, maybe it's not as um, dire as it felt in March, but life is going on, but life has to be different. It has to be changed. And um, can I hope for something better? Um, Because I kind of enjoyed lockdown a little bit. And I don't don't know what you were bringing to the the conversation. I didn't want to make it all about the pandemic, but 
um, this is kind of my one musical gem that came out of the pandemic. I didn't write a pandemic album like a lot of people are marketing now, but I think if I got one song out of it, that that that's that's pretty good. Um, and there was a lot more gifts from that time, but I liked the quiet back of the, in that spring, and I liked the slower pace of things, and it and it let me look at life from a bigger lens. And so the song has what we call in theology an eschatological horizon. You know, yeah. I, it kind of starts from this moment of frustration and it tries to carry the listener on an arc all the way to the to the edge of the universe and kind of look at the big picture. Um, where is it, where is all of this going? Not just my frustration, but where is uh, the one line in the middle, hope and history trying to rhyme, you know, the hope for a better world and the record of history. And is there some future point where the two of them harmonize? You know? Yeah. It's interesting that you you reference that line because that's a that's a U two reference. Yes, and I have to thank yeah. my producer Todd Bushong for helping me with that lyric. Because <laughs> uh, uh, there were that's a lot from, of hands in the middle. That's from of the song. Peace on Earth. Hear it every Christmas time, but hope and history won't rhyme. So what's it worth? This peace on earth. Hope and history won't write. Yeah, I, I, I'm not remember the exact lines. We could put it in in post, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. But yeah, it's uh, that's always been a, a fascinating song to me. So the fact that you referenced that, they is, are a great. I don't know them personally, but their approach to incorporating uh, spiritual or philosophical or uh, you know big ideas in into music, they've been a, a mentor to me, and they're they and they haven't been afraid like you said, to kind of mix the profane and the sacred together on like a, a circular continuum. Yeah. Like you lean hard enough in, 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 into the dirty and the earthy and you find yourself, you know, uh, floating in the clouds of heaven. And it's not a neither nor, but it's all happening all at the same time. And I decided early on in my songwriting that I was going to follow their model when it came to talking about, you know, faith things or spiritual things. I wasn't going to edit myself too much. And that's what Brandon was encouraging me to do when he saw me nervously trying to edit my my lyrics. And I told him how I was driving down to Marion and like writing on a note card on the steering wheel, like, oh, I better change that. I better change that. <laughs> and he's like, no, just do it the way that feels right. And then don't worry about, you know, you're not going to, this is not going up for a Dove Award or something. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Well, I, you know, to get back to the um, U2 thing, and mm -hmm. we've talked about this before, I always have thought that Wake Up Dead Man is one of the best Easter songs, even though Bono drops the F-bomb in the very first line. Yeah. And, um, but to me, that just strikes me as being the most brutally honest and vulnerable mm -hmm. before God in prayer. Yeah. And, you know, and the other thing... um, when we rehearsed that song, you, me, and John Drury, a year and a half ago, I remember I left, I think I had to get back home for something, but sure. you and John were, were chilling, and you guys were starting to rap about the Bible. Mm -hmm. And John kind of got deep into this um, translation of Hebrew, and I, I just recall as I was walking out the door, he said, oh yeah, one of, one of the Psalms, the more literal translation is not, oh, woe is the day I was born, but really more like, 
God cursed and damned the day I was born. Right, I was right. It's like, like, huh. You know, and thinking about that, there's probably a lot more of that right. graphic honesty uh, in the original language that gets sanitized in our, um, you know, that Zondervan just doesn't want to publish. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And, and uh, yeah, Wake Up Dead Man. I used to have that when I was, we both, Barton and I went to the same college, but not at the same time. Uh, in my dormitory, um, I had uh, my roommate and I, my sophomore year, this was the year after U2's Pop came out mm-hmm. and after the song Wake Up Dead Man came out. And I loved that song. I played that song at the coffee house on campus um, and my little sets. And, um, but I took sidewalk chalk and Daniel and I, Daniel Lambert, who played music with me for years, we would decorate the walls of our dorm with sidewalk chalk. But we wrote, I wrote in a purple chalk and there's a picture of it somewhere in an album upstairs. Uh, I wrote wake up dead man next to where my head would be on the wall by my bunk bed in mm-hmm. my dorm room. Cause I, I loved that song. And I, I would like to see this song, even though it's got that, like you said, Maggie May Americana kind of uh, well, Celtic feel to it. I like to think of it in that same kind of canon as something like Peace on Earth or Wake Up Dead Man. The best prayer comes from that feeling of just, you know, God, screw it. I'm so, I'm so angry. Yeah. And then, because you're really honest, you're really open, you're, you're, at, you're at ground level. There's no pretense. There's no uh, artifice. Yeah. Well, you know, when we first started talking about what our conversation was going to be, uh, for your podcast, yeah, yeah, same one. And I was, that. and I was thinking, uh, the one of the reasons why I really thought this song uh, grabbed my attention was, I just finished teaching a class on religion and pop music this semester, and one of the things that we were constantly talking about was how profane and sacred elements are constantly in this dance. Yeah, you know that. And so they started the semester. They read some things of Emil Durkheim, who was one of the main theorists in the early 20th centuries to talk about sacred and profane. And he saw these as very distinctly separate spheres. Mm. And yet all the examples that we looked at, and we did look at uh, U2 as an example, was how do elements of the sacred inspire popular music? So like how does gospel become rock and roll? Uh Um, And... Uh, but at the on the flip side, how do elements, sacred elements, or the kind of quote unquote Christianese, show up in pop music songs? Sometimes wildly <laughs> changed to be a more uh, romantic or erotic kind yeah. of um, connotation, but yet there's language in there that's like, well, that's really more like stuff that you would have heard in hymns, or mm-hmm. or or you know, we then got into like. Contemporary worship music sounds like romantic songs, but with Jesus. Um, I wish I could have audited your course. Yeah, that sounds great. But I, what the other thing that I found uh, an interesting point of conversation would be that you and I have these career tra- trajectories that seem to have crisscrossed, right, uh, and twisted almost like a helix. Sure, sure. In that. Yes, we both went to uh, to the same university and both studied. Well, I studied religion. You studied music. I studied right? music. I started off in a music career. Yeah, and you 
professionally started off as a music teacher, correct? Music teacher, yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. And I went to school thinking that I would become a minister. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like and, to keep saying it. And I, I worked my way up through a PhD in religious studies uh-huh. with the intent to teach religion and not necessarily be a minister. And here we are in 2022. I teach in a school of music. Right. Uh, and you are, uh, are, you're the minister. So <laughs> right. um, that's why I say it's kind of like a helix where we, we, it looks like we crisscross, but it also, if you notice the twist, it's uh-huh. like, oh, wow, we just sort of, yeah. And I, I just find that those trajectories in our, in our paths also relate to this song because it's this, these elements of sacred and profane, but then the role that music plays and that, and your song touches on right. that. Um, yeah. Because I know we often just refer to it as for Christ's sake, but it's actually for Christ's sake sing, isn't it? Well, or, that, that was that was a demo title. That was a demo something. title. Okay. Well, right. And, and I had the idea when I named it that that if I could do anything, uh, and this is very much a sort of a Bono thing, if I could do anything, I would sing, and and that's what I was made to do. That's that's my, you know my life is a song, you know I was born to sing for you that kind of thing. I didn't stick with that entirely but i love i love the the image of a helix um more than i do separate containers for 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 things or i like the idea of uh, a sphere uh better than you said the 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 durkheim said you know, the sacred and profane being in two camps or two yeah he saw those arenas, very distinct domains distinct of, arenas yeah. and to me like there's one domain you know it's it's the universe <laughs> and uh, there, there, and I like the helix because it looks different depending on the angle that you're you're looking at it. Right, but, but you see that things are connected and interweave, uh, come close and come apart. Um, and the thing I love about the helix, when you think about how the bodies in space move, um, I was seeing something a couple of years ago um, that someone did a computer generated model of how the solar system actually moves we don't like sit stock still um the the sun actually is rotating on on something else and the galaxy is 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 rotating on its on on its own sort of axis if you will Mm -hmm. and so the way that the earth and the moon and the sun and everything moves through 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 the galaxy and through space is almost like a corkscrew Mm. and so we're not just you know, spinning around our own axis, but then we're orbiting and the sun is orbiting something and the galaxy is turning. And so there's like this helix shape, you know, if you follow the trails of all of the the bodies of the solar system and it's, it was wild. And I thought, wow. Okay. So the, the macro level, the, you know, the galaxy moves on like a helix shape, but then like the, the energy that makes up my cells, you know, the genetic material is a, is a helix shape and, you know, it's the fingerprint of God kind of thing, the design argument. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say, if you subscribe to intelligent design, it really, that that's a useful data point to uh, sure to support. Yeah. And I, I don't know if we'll keep this section or not, yeah. but I'm definitely going to keep your talk about career trajectories because I think that that's, that's solid stuff right there. Yeah, and that's what I remember like two months ago, you know, saying to you in a text message of like that, just always makes me pause and think about um, how you and I ended up on on sort of opposite, not opposite, but like mm-hmm. you ended up where I thought I would, <laughs> right. and vice versa. Exactly. 
um is you you're, you're deep in the world of rock and roll like yeah you, yeah, you, sh- yeah you shared with me that you know you have students in your class who are like uh cutting really cool records and uh making it in the indie rock world and i was like wow i'd love to rub elbows with these kids and mentor them but um that's not my day-to-day reality anymore yeah yeah well in my day i mean the you know, I don't have a formal training in music, uh, mm-hmm. and so my training, my role with them is a lot of times just kind of giving them advice on, well, here's how you navigate things at the university, or here's how you kind of just navigate things in life. But uh-huh. also, I'm constantly just saying, oh, you're interested in this and this. Have you ever listened to these artists that seem to have had sure some have some relationship and like. You know, one of my students said, "Oh, yeah, here's, you know, here's the link to our uh, EP on um, Spotify." So I started listening to it. Very first track, I was like, "Oh, do you know this song by the Kinks?" Right. Uh, because there's a lot of similarities there. Uh huh. Um, and he said, "Oh, he's like, I like the Kinks. I'm not sure I know that song, but yeah. you know, that's kind of the fun of it is kind of starting to to talk to them about about all this all this kind of music uh, and." and and trying to pique their interest a little bit mm-hmm. uh, in something, right. and and say you know you might be like one of my students. Um, she's a vocalist, um, and we were talking about vocalists. And I said, well, have you ever listened to Linda Ronstadt? And I said, but listen to like early Linda Ronstadt. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, the, as I was telling you earlier, when when Eagles were their backing band or right. her backing band and you know James Taylor is writing her songs. Uh-huh. Um that's really great stuff and I played for her this tune and she was like, "Wow, I'm I'm going to have to check that out more." Cool. And you know, and she's a big um she's a big Tom Petty fan and she's currently doing a research project on Stevie Nicks for me and so I'm like, "Yeah, you probably should check out that record in the 80s that they cut together um because <laughs> right. you'll probably really like that." <laughs> That's cool. So, I, I, I'm kind of historically jealous. I wish I would have had someone in my school of music giving me the kind of advice you're describing. My professors knew that I was in a, a rock band uh, with, with my classmates and we were trying to make it. And they would say things to me like, well, this is fun for now, but very, very shortly, you'll have to get back to real life. And yeah, uh, this isn't going to work out for you. I remember I had a, a teacher say, this isn't, this isn't going to work out. So you really need to you know, think about your real, your real job. And, uh, that was always, what did, what did he mean by that? Being a, like a professional viola player or uh, is, is it, is it viola that I you was, were trained in? I was, trained my, my major instrument was the viola, but my, um, the degree I was pursuing was music education. Okay. So he was referring to, you know, getting a job in a school, learning to become a director, uh, running a music program in a, in a public okay. high school. Okay. Like that's going to pay your bills. This is who you are. This is where you're going. And I, you know, you know, I wanted to change the world through rock music, <laughs> but they were like, no, it's, it's not going to work out for you. I had one per one, one, I'm trying not to hurt any uh, professors by naming them by names, but one was like, are you sure you want to be a starving artist for the rest of your life? You know, uh, this is his exact phrase speech. I, re- I remember it. It's like, and be sleeping on couches and have an empty refrigerator. <laughs> it's like, but at the time I was like, bring it on. I'm okay with that. Uh, but from, from his perspective, it, it was no way to, to approach life. So I commend you for uh, just encouraging them in that. Cause looking back, you know, I was going to do it anyway. So 
to have a guiding hand to to help me and inspire me and encourage me so that I didn't feel so discouraged. Self-confidence is such a huge thing for for young artists starting out. Yeah. Kids are yeah. so their egos are so fragile. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, I'm 44 years old. I'm not a kid. I still have a fragile ego. I think we always do, no matter how old we are. But right, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think that's right. What we do in our school of music is, and I work more with the pop music and music industry students. So right. they they have the intended plans of working in in the business. Um, the pop music performance students, you know, the idea or performance or production, you know, the idea is that they could be a producer or an engineer uh-huh. or you know, a session musician, maybe a touring mus- musician, you know, as a backup for, and there's, a, there's great opportunities to do that if you find yourself in the right right location and around the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, since I'm not as familiar with that aspect of the uh, industry, you know, I didn't tour, I didn't, I'm not a session musician or anything like that, uh, this basement excluding. Um, <laughs> I just try to, you know, listen to them about what's going on, talk to them a little bit about life, help them to understand that, well, yeah, here's the decisions you have to make. And, you know, for all the times that I have wrestled with, well, I didn't go into ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I often remind myself, well, yeah, teaching students is a form of ministry. It is. Uh, a lot of times I'm the person at the university that's going to go to the mat for them mm-hmm. and and say, yeah, give this student another semester before you pull their financial aid or their sure. scholarships or whatever. Love and it. Here's here's the reasons why. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, and the number of times that students you know say to me like, "Wow, you're the only person to have checked in." Mm. I'm like, "Well, you haven't done anything in class for three weeks. Of course, I'm going to check in." <laughs> um, but, that was me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, they just, oh, wow, I really appreciate that. And I think, I guess that's that's what I'm called to do, at least for the time being that I'm doing it. Yeah, I think it's it's a great, it's a great work. It's a great ministry. So, um, good. Well, I want to thank you for your, your role in, in shaping this song and um, helping it stay in the mix. Uh, I enjoy playing it and I, lo- I loved recording it. I love playing it out when I, when I get a chance to. And um, your input the other summer was, was so, so helpful. Um, oh, well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've enjoyed it. I, I, you know, a lot of your songs that I have been privileged to play with you for three years. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously there was like a year that we didn't right. do anything, right. um, but I've always enjoyed it. And, and to be, to be part of either continuing that song playing whatever song it is, uh-huh. or here's an opportunity to rethink the song and present it in a new way, sure. a, a way that's not, you know, 28 year old you. Right. Um, but uh, uh, you in your forties with a bit more and myself entering my forties <laughs> with, with a bit of that sort of like, sure. okay, there, there's a, a more delicate hand that could be put to this. Mm. And um, still make the song interesting, Thanks. you know th- things like you know Windy or Holy Cross Day or yeah, things Streets that of I wrote Chicago twenties. So, right. Some of that stuff, you know, that like, and I know you've already recorded conversations on a lot of those because I was like, uh-huh. well, I love this song, I love this song. Uh-huh. You were like, <laughs> yeah, we got all those lined up. Um, Season one was like the greatest hits, right? <laughs> 
but I love being part of those when I can because they are opportunities to breathe new life into those songs. And yes. for you, for your sake, that's that's great. For me, it's like, wow, I just get to be part of it the first time around. Uh-huh. Because yeah. it's the first time around for me. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, yeah. Thank you. Well, Martin Price, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being our guest today. And uh, please check out all the links on the page uh, to follow up on uh, everything we've mentioned. Thanks a lot. Thank you. If you're enjoying my podcast, you can support it in several ways. Leave a good rating, write a review, share it with a friend. And if you'd really like to, it would be great if you could make a one-time tip through Venmo or become a Patreon supporter. And you can find a link to do that on the show notes. And now, here's the song, For Christ's Sake, by Tom Adamson and the Faculty. Oh,
The theme song for A Song and a Friend is the song Special by Tom Adamson and the Texarkana 2. And I want to offer, as I always do, a huge thank you and shout out to Todd Bashong for creative and technical support. God bless and see you next time. <laughs>